Hey everyone, Christy McClellan here, and I want to invite you to a brand new event from Lifeway Women called Feast. At this event, you'll be invited to feast on God's Word by studying the Bible in its historical, cultural context. We're going to get to know the Bible in its world, in its native habitat, text, and context. You'll experience teaching, worship led by my 25-year friend, Laura Cooksey, and fellowship with other women around the world. Come and learn with me that the living God is better than we ever knew. Visit LifeWay.com slash Feast to learn more. This is the Mark Podcast from LifeWay Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. When You Pray is a seven-session Bible study from Bible teachers Kelly Minter, Jackie Hill-Perry, Jen Wilkin, Jennifer Rothschild, Jada Edwards, and Christy McClellan. Each week, you'll study prayers in the Bible that will inspire your own, learning that God welcomes all you have to say to Him, your praise, lament, thanksgiving, and intercession. Whether you choose to study When You Pray on your own or with a group, explore the When You Pray journal, tote, and experience box to enhance your experience. Learn more at lifeway.com slash when you pray. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heineman, and I am here not with my co-host today. She had a family emergency and had to step out, but I'm here with one of my friends, Dean and Sarah. Dean, hello. Welcome. Hey, Elizabeth. Great to be with you, my friend. Excited to be together on this today. I know. It's so so fun. I have told you that you've been on our list for a little while. You were uh, one of our faithful, like, male listeners i feel like or absolutely at least yes you watch my instagram stories about it so uh, thank you for that um tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your ministry yeah well, i've been married for 19 plus years and have three kids pretty wide span of age 16 uh 12 and 8 boy boy girl and uh, a newborn baby on the way uh, which uh, was quite the uh, interesting moment for our family. Going to have a, anywhere from a 16-year-old to a newborn. Uh, so that's kind of our, our world right now. I a pastor in my hometown of Tallahassee, Florida, uh, the capital of Florida, also home to Florida State University and Florida A&M University, uh, two large colleges, a state government, state colleges, a lot going on here. Uh, city Church here in my hometown that we planted over 15 years ago with about 20 people in a living room. That's awesome. And you love Tallahassee, and I Very love much. that you love Tallahassee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so I don't know that I've ever been there. Have I told you that? We need I don't to make that, that, ever to make to that happen. Yeah, Tallahassee yeah. is a great place to visit, great place to live. A uh, lot, lot of good things going on here. And uh, it's been neat to get a chance to pastor in my hometown where I grew up and, and baptize friends I went to high yeah. school with and just neat stuff like that. That's awesome. So you've written a few books. Um, you've written The Unsaved Christian, Getting Over Yourself and pure. 
So who tell us a little bit about like who the audience is for each of those books and like what you hope readers come away with because they're kind of pretty different in um subject matter each one is yeah sure well unsafe christian i just kind of kept noticing that almost all evangelism conversation and training especially kind of in our tribe of churches was centered around like atheists and skeptics or agnostics who are usually strangers when that's helpful we need that but i also i'm going wait a second like most of people's contexts are people they already know who would mm-hmm. claim to be Christians, but their reason for being for believing they're a Christian really has nothing to do with Jesus. It's just that they're a good person. They believe in like a generic God. They're not Muslim or Jewish or of another religion. So therefore, they just kind of assume they're Christians. When you look at the data, so the majority the majority religion in America are Christians. Uh, at least when you look mm-hmm. at census surveys, so it's like, where are these people? <laughs> well, they're right. so, so, I want, so I want to help people see that they don't have to go looking very far to find an evangelistic conversation. And I was actually saved out of cultural Christianity or nominal Christianity. Uh, so it's really kind of a passionate topic for me because I went to church every Sunday my whole life yeah. and said a prayer before dinner. And I could told you about Noah's Ark and you know David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den. I knew Jesus died on the cross, but no one ever told me that he actually like died for my sins. And I had to actually, in faith and repentance, believe that. Uh, I was never told I needed to be saved. Yes. I was told to maybe be like Jesus, love like Jesus, you know, be courageous like David, or th- those type of things. So uh, I heard the gospel for the first time at an FCA, Fellowship Christian Athletes Retreat, when I was 13. And ever since then, that idea of this cultural Christianity uh, not being a discipleship issue, but being an evangelism issue has been really important. So I wrote it for the church in general, that book, uh, to see that for far too long we've seen cultural Christianity as a discipleship problem. They just need to get more serious about the Bible, get, you know, get a mentor. You know, right. it, like, no, 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 that's not what it is. It's an evangelism issue. They actually don't know Jesus, which mm-hmm. actually can make our work in churches a lot less frustrating. Because a lot right. of times people bang their heads in the wall going, why don't they just get it? I'm like, they don't know the Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so so, that, that, so it's, it's been helpful. And I've heard churches that, you know, it's helpful for me to tell that story and, and just to let people hopefully just, not that I'm going to come up this the first time. This has always existed. Right. But just trying to help people see it from a practical standpoint. It's been neat to hear from churches that use it as their evangelism training, things such as that. So I've been encouraged by that. Getting over yourself, I probably wrote for myself. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, So that, that was a response to what I see uh, in what I call pop Christianity. Christianity, okay. and this sort of self-help gospel that's so prominent on Instagram and on YouTube uh, that so many, especially younger Christians, and by that I mean in age, uh, not like in their maturity in the faith, but in age, right. are, are drawn to often, uh, that makes God out to be sort of a self-help coach. And it's not some just point out everything that's wrong book. It's helping to see that the greatest blessing that God gives us is himself. Right, it's Christ. You know, I want to make sure that I preach the same gospel in Tallahassee, Florida, in suburban America, next to Lululemon. You know that 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 that, that I that I would in a third world country. Right. And then there's right. different there's different practical aspects and working contextualization of working that gospel out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the message, I want to make sure it's not altered by the latest fad or trend of the day. So I'm just kind of really worried about what I call the Instagramification of the faith uh, yes. that a lot of people are being drawn to. And I, I just worry that a faith crisis is coming for people that uh, don't have things work out in their life exactly as they wanted, as they've ascribed promises to God he never made. Mm-hmm. So it's helping understand yeah. what's going on with that and the problem. And pure is a response to, I read kind of in response. I kind of see what's going on out there and like, <laughs> let's talk about it. So um, it's uh, a response to all the angst towards purity culture. 
Mm-hmm. That's kind of a very popular thing online, especially just like mention anything of sexual ethics. Everyone's like purity culture. And right. you know, people claim they're oppressed because their parents made them listen to Michael W. Smith in the car going to school when they were in third grade. <laughs> and that, you know, and, and those kind of things. Uh, so um, I'm saying, okay, let's just say for argument's sake that all the criticisms of purity culture are valid and right. Like mm-hmm. just for the sake of argument. Okay. Granted. Now, does that change for even a second that God has a clear design for sexuality? And the answer is no. So it's like, okay, let's be honest about purity culture and see what we can learn from it in terms of missteps. But at the same time, not to use an overused expression, throw the baby out the bathwater. And and because now I worry sometimes that now it's like if you even mention anything of sexual ethics, people automatically go, this is purity culture. It's like, what, what does that even mean? Wait, hold on here. Yeah. You know, we're not passing out cards and giving you rings and asking you to go to the purity yeah. ball with your dad. Okay? Right? We're just talking about <laughs> sexual ethics. So the book is just a practical way to understand God's design for all this. Yeah. yeah, I think those are so helpful, especially for, like you said, those in the younger generations that I feel like either grew up in that circumstances or are seeing it now and are trying to figure out Especially in our like deconstruction culture, like um, they they are deconstructing in a in a good way of saying, is this still true? Is this what we believe? Um, because I have all this other stuff coming from outside of scripture. So what's true about this? And so I yeah. think those are all very helpful yeah. with that. And, and you were very kind to endorse the book, which I'm very thankful for, yes. uh, and, and the inside covers of the book. You know, and also I want to make sure that we also understand that God never gave us this great design of sexuality uh, to bring about shame or to bring right. about on the other side to bring about like a legalism or you know, that kind of idea. So to really understand his design is to really walk us away uh, from some of the missteps of the purity culture, which created some shame and some and some very pharisaic legalistic, judgmental, self-righteous kind of stuff on the other side. Yes, and I've recommended that book to a few people just in the past few days that I've had conversations about this with who are just like, help me navigate this now. Because like I've I've seen this, I grew up believing this way, but now all these people are believing the opposite way. So how do I navigate that with scripture? And so I recommended your book as a good way to uh, sort that out in, in everybody's head. So I think that's... Those are all very helpful. And the unsaved Christian, we'll get to that a little bit later, too, because um, that's part of the conversation that we want to have with you. But that's also helpful. And it's not just in the South. Um, it is It is in the, like, we're, we're both in the Southeastern United States, and that's very much part of our culture here. But um, when I studied abroad in England, they all claim to be Christian because they're British. So they like, go yeah, to, they're of part England of the Church or, of England, yeah. yeah. So they're Christians. Yeah, look um, at the so data. I think, yeah. yeah, you go to big and cities it, in the north, to the Midwest, and the West Coast, with rare exceptions, the majority mm-hmm. do not claim to be atheists or agnostics. Mm-hmm. But they're not yeah. Christians either. So it's like, right. hey, what are they? So let's talk <laughs> about that. Yeah, we need to talk yes. about that. Yeah. Okay. And you also have a Bible study with Lifeway called Marks of the Disciple of a, a Disciple. So tell us more about that. What are the marks of a disciple? Yeah. Again, another response here. <laughs> response <laughs> of things that I, I kind of saw all time kind of growing up in around Christian culture that it's almost frowned upon to ever think you're doing okay. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like, if you think you're satisfied, if you think you're in the right, well, don't ever be satisfied. You're probably drifting. It's like, well, how do I know if I'm like actually living the Christian life the way I'm right. supposed to? Not, not to pat myself on the back, but just kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, like I walk in the spirit. Things are okay. <laughs> you know, yes. That kind of idea. So I said, let's have some measures 
measurable markers just to try to gauge that. Uh, so, so, so I, so LifeWay reached out and we had, I, I did a sermon series around it and then wound up getting, getting, adjusting some things to make it work for a Bible study. And there are things such as being heavenly minded, you know, or being eternally minded, how that's a significant posture for a growing, mature Christian, that this world's not our home, you know, being really aware of that, having a heart for the lost. Yeah. You know, Jesus called us sojourner, or, you know, the scriptures, Jesus said not to take us out of the world, but we might be in the world and be protected from the evil one. Peter, you know, called us sojourners and exiles. And then the next verse says to live our lives honorably among the Gentiles. You know, so it's, it's the mindset of eternity and not having your loyalty here would be very present here. So if we you show me a mature disciple that doesn't have a heart for the loss, I'm going to question the definition of what is a mature disciple. And because I think, I think maturity really is following Jesus into the world. If we're trying to be more like Christ, and that's the goal of disciples discipleship i can't think of anything more like jesus than being than loving the lost uh being uh sound doctrinally you know one of the one of the markers is just sound doctrine we want to make sure that we believe the things that god has given us to believe right god speaks to Mm -hmm. us through his word and we want to make sure that we are have have right doctrine it's not in a policing kind of way but and these are important you know fundamental beliefs not fundamental lists but fundamental beliefs uh, that christians have to hold to in order to be a christian not not second tier third tier issues but like what are what are those top level things that really matter they have to hold to uh and then having uh healthy habits you know, it's a sign of, of Christian maturity when it comes to our spiritual formation. A lot of conversation going on about spiritual formation right now in Christian culture. I love that. Uh, so talking, talking about prayer, about uh, Bible reading, about being a part of the local church, like being a part of God's body. Uh, so so that, that that's definitely a marker for sure. Uh, and then generous living. I mean, Jesus said that where your heart is, your treasure is. So those things are linked together. So that has to be a marker, you know, of what it means to, to be a faithful disciple. If, if we're going to be living the Christian life in a way that honors the Lord, the scriptures call us to, I think it's more than that, but it's definitely not less than that in terms of where it's supposed to be. So those are some markers that are, that are in there to help people just think through those and talk about those things, about what maturity can look like and how to know if you're kind of in step with what it looks like to, to live that. And one more, I left off the last one, uh, was a repentant life. Mm. You know, it's yeah. a repentant life. I think it was Luther who said all, all of all of life, Christian life is repentance, right? It's, it's that kind of idea that we're regularly just kind of seeing where we're falling short in terms of our fellowship with the Lord and, and obeying by grace, uh, you know, the things that God has called us to and, and repenting of that, not not having a defensive posture all the time or a what about, or but an actual, you know, posture of repentance. So those are some ways that I think we can measure and go, okay, how am I doing? Yeah. Like, like, are those things realities in my life? Is, is my doctrine what it's supposed to be? Is it line up the scriptures? You know, am I repenting of sin quickly? You know, is my, how are my habits? Am I generous? You know, those type of things. I think there's some, some markers, uh, not, not legalism, just markers to help us go, okay, like, how, how are we growing our faith? Where are we at? And those are some measurements yeah. I just try to help out people with in the form of Bible study. Yeah, I think that's so helpful, especially, like, for people who maybe are more of the type A, like, I would like a to-do list, please. Like, yeah. It's kind of helpful for that because, you know, the Bible is not a to-do list, but it definitely gives us some principles that we can kind of um, go off of. And it's never should be a to-do list, but it kind of helps you to have, like, some structure to it. Yeah, we measure everything else in life. Right. You know, so why wouldn't we measure how we're doing in our faith? Yeah. And so that, that, that was kind of a suggestion I give in the study. It's like, whoa, measuring is not abnormal for people. <laughs> like we, we have right. measurements that, you know, that, that we do to, to see how we're doing in on all areas of life. Yeah. And just gives you some some ways that you can know that, oh, I should focus on this for growth. Um, maybe I have I'm a little bit stronger in one area, but I need to still grow in this area. So these are some ways that I can kind of do that. 
Yeah, that's very helpful. And that's a Bible study for men and women. I know a lot of our Bible studies that we talk about on here are focused for women. Obviously, men can do any of our Bible studies, but they kind of have more of a female focus. So this is for men and women. We have people ask us all the time, what can I do with a group with husbands and wives? So yours would be a great one for that. Yeah, hey, I'm just bringing in the gender diversity to this podcast. Just yeah. bringing it in. We love it. We love it. <laughs> okay, so you said you've pastored a church in Tallahassee. Um, if anyone follows you on Twitter, they know that you're a huge fan of the local church, and so are we at Lifeway. Um, why is it important for us as Christians to invest in the church locally? I really do believe when we read the scriptures that it's God's design. Like God's mm-hmm. plan, his blueprint for his people is the local church. It was the entire plan from the beginning. When he gives the charge in Acts 1-8 to go be witnesses, you know, take this gospel, yeah. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. What happens after that, once the, the spirit dwells, comes down and descends on God's people, is that churches begin to be formed, right? That, that's the whole rest of the story, you know, of, of the scriptures. So to, so to say that, like, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, or I, you can go to ch- I can go to church on the dock in my backyard or on the golf course or in bed or over brunch, it's, you know, that's just something the Bible wouldn't recognize. So I think it's been overcorrection where, you know, people love to say things like the church isn't a building. The church is people. Well, yes, but the church gathers right. and, and not just gathers randomly, just kind of as an event, but gathers together as a actual local body uh, that has committed to one another. That's under that's under common leadership, under common teaching. And so I, I think that to live the Christian life is to be a part of a Christian church. I tell I tell our folks regularly that there's more to the faith than going to church, but there's definitely not less. And, and I think right. that we, we can't be ashamed of that, and we can't let uh, that extreme swing of that kind of language uh, affect how we view the local church. So it's kind of kind of trendy now to be like sort of anti-establishment institution when that's what God has given us. You know, God has instituted the church a, as His means to to bring about His gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, so something that happened in the 1990s, uh, people talk about culture a lot and I'm writ- I've written on that but another right. thing that happened in my in, in the 1990s I'm like I graduated from high school in 1999 so I like okay. came of age as a teenager right smack in the middle of all yeah. the things right <laughs> all the things everybody's yelling about now I came of age then and thankfully I was fine <laughs> and I thought that era, I thought the era was great uh, but uh, but one I understand others didn't have the same experience but one thing that um I re- remember from back growing up that every sermon, every single thing of youth ministry was all in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's all you ever heard about. Now, is that biblical? Absolutely. God calls us his children, right? We have a relationship right. with the Lord, right? He had, so he's our heavenly father. Like that, that Matt, Jesus calls us friend, right? Like that, that mm-hmm. matters. Uh, but I think some of that resulted in what we see today. Where folks say things like, I have my own relationship with God. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You know, right. when they're just so mistaken. That, that, that have a relationship with God that has nothing to do with the local church is a relationship with God that may, might be an imaginary friend. Because it's not a relationship with the Lord that would be recognized in the scripture. So, so just out of the just of honoring the Lord that's given us this design, that's one reason why we should care about the local church. Uh, but also just selfishly how we benefit from it. Right. Right. One is for God's glory and his design, but also how we benefit from anything from almost like what seems like consumer stuff, but it's not. It's God's plan, like the teaching of the word, receiving that, taking the Lord's Supper with other believers, having people who pray for you. I had a campus pastor uh, when I was in college. He used to tell us that his goal was every person in the church be prayed with, prayed for, and personally discipled. Mm. That you had that opportunity available to you. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and the church is, is a, what, what an awesome thing. What an awesome goal. Mm-hmm. And, and then also for it to be the lighthouse to the to the community yeah, and, and the sending right. center to the rest of the world. So I'm unapologetically diehard local church. That does not mean that I'm naive to the struggles and the problems. But right. but overall, I think the local church is great. I think there's much, much, much more good than bad. And we always want to pay attention to the bad because the Lord's church. We want to make sure that, mm-hmm. that we're honoring it and its fellow image bearers. Uh, but I think the local church is a wonderful thing. And God knew exactly what he was doing uh, when, he, uh, when he gave us this, this great design. Yeah, we were talking about that actually at my church, my local church, on Sunday, talking about a community. Our small group was focused on, our sermon was focused on it, and our small group was then discussing the sermon. And um, yeah, there's just so much that about being a Christian, so many commands in the Bible that you cannot fulfill unless you're part of a local body of believers. Um, and so, you know, gathering together worshiping together, the Lord's Supper, like you said, baptism, like all these things are meant to be part of the local church and the local church family. And we're supposed to go out and send each other. And so I think that is something that a lot of people have, especially with the online church, which is sometimes necessary for a season or for somebody who's sick or things like that. And that's such a blessing that we're able to have the technology where you can watch a church service, but at the same time, that should not be all your church because there's something about being in person with people um that changes changes you changes your worship and everything so yeah online should be the exception we're thankful the exception is available but it should definitely be the exception yeah yes yes all right so what are some practical ways that people can move from going to church to loving being a part of the local church family because there's probably a lot of people that are in that first camp they're like yeah i go to church but they don't yeah. love their local church family. Yeah, I, I think sometimes I, I think it's a couple of different kind of approaches uh-huh. to this. Okay, and, and I have pretty strong opinions on some of this. So okay. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I think one. I think sometimes people's expectations need to lower a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not in terms of like holiness and people right. living what they believe and treating people like fellow image bearers and getting the scriptures right and those kind of things, but the overall presentation of it. Just all the things that that make up the church on Sunday morning, from people, you know, who are going to be around to exactly how the sermon is exactly what you want it to be, the music. I think that sometimes people can be a little too just demanding in terms of what they expect and what they want. And that makes it it sound like you're going to a football game, you know, where you boo the offensive coordinator because they didn't run the exact play you wanted to run uh, or something, uh, or, you know, or that you went to a movie movie and you were so excited to see the movie and you got there and it wasn't, you know, what what it had promised to be. Or there's a part two, a sequel to a movie, and you're like, it wasn't as good as the last. It's just like, well, maybe you had a little too hype, you know. But the more we hype things sometimes, the more – and, again, I think the church should have all the hype because God's design, like I said, but the actual like time together uh, was not designed to be your Disney World experience. Mm. So when you expect it to be Disney, and then it rains at Disney, you know that day when you're walking <laughs> down Main Street, you know, and you're headed to the the Magic Kingdom, uh, you know, head down to Cinderella's Castle. I mean, like it's going to be kind of womp womp, you know, in terms of your yes. experience. I think sometimes people kind of walk in with that that expectation. It's not reality. On the other hand, yeah, I, I think this stuff matters so much that we need to do it well. And, and I think something about if, if you, I, I don't want someone to leave their church for like petty reasons, but if you're at a church that you would never be in, invited, excited to bring and invite a friend who doesn't know Jesus to, then I would worry about you staying a part of that church. That can be anything what they teach and believe, you know, all the way right. to just the overall experience. Not because you want Disney World. That's always going to let you down. 
right? right? But because you're so serious, you think that the local church is a great place to incorporate your unbelieving friend into the conversation. Again, churches are for believers, but it's a wide open door to bring unbelievers. Mm-hmm. So we're not trying to dumb it down for the unbeliever. We're just trying to create a, a, a time together where they can understand and hear and be brought. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that unbelievers do not go to church, period. With the exception of like a tragedy happening in their life, they maybe have spiritual questions. Like I've never heard an unbeliever in my life say, "Oh man, they have a good band. Get in the car, let's go to church." I've never met that person. You know, or, 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 or good coffee over yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. The pastor wears jeans and like you know, like get in the car. You know, like let's get, like I've never met that person before. Right. People go to church because a friend that they trust invites them, who's invested in them. But here's the catch. No one's going to invite that friend that they've invested in to a church they secretly wish they'd have to go to themselves. Mm. So, yeah. be, so I would say be a part of a church that would make you excited to bring a lost friend you're investing in to experience. I don't think it's a church's job to share the gospel with your friend. I think it's your job. Uh, but God gave us churches, right? What an awesome opportunity to bring them around your believing friends and your church family. Uh, so there's so two sides of the coin there. One is like, hey – Lower down the expectations just a little bit. This whole Disney experience, you know, if you hype up a restaurant like it's the, like the greatest thing since sliced bread, mm-hmm. um, then you walk in and it wasn't perfect. It probably was really good food, but it wasn't up to the hype that you created. Right. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes church, the way Instagram is and things like that, we can just kind of overhype the experience and it can just create kind of a letdown. But on the other end, let's be a part of churches that we're actually excited to bring our friends to see and experience. So. Yeah. I'm not I talking about someone... two sides of my mouth there. I really believe it's kind of two camps. Yes. Both can be true at the same time. Yes. I heard someone, and it may have actually been on your podcast, uh, The Local Dive, but I feel like somebody said you need to find a church where you don't feel like you have to d- give a disclaimer yeah. either before or after the service if you bring yeah. a friend. Yeah, we call and it the double I, promise. I love... Yeah, yeah. yeah the <laughs> like, double promise, no so disclaimer. This is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved that. I was like, that's a good measurement. Just no disclaimers. Yeah, yeah or, or the double promises. No disclaimer on the way to church. No apology on the way home. Right, yeah. Yeah, there and so that's what we want our folks to have confidence in they bring when they bring a friend. Yes. So we're recording this a while from Easter, but Easter is coming up when this will air. And we know you're passionate, again, about the local church, but also um, evangelism for those who we may only see at our local church at Christmas and Easter because maybe they don't go to church every day, but they're at grandma's house for Easter and she wants them to go to her church service before they come over and they just got a new dress. So they're going to have to show it off. You've got to wear that Lily. Absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) So what can we do to help the Christmas and Easter churchgoers to feel at home in our churches, especially if they're only there for one Sunday? Like, what are some things that those of us who are there every week can do to make them feel at home? Yeah, so I think there's two approaches, two options. Either you're okay. going to bemoan the fact they're only there twice a year and <laughs> right. make that a thing, you know, uh-huh. or you're going to see that the reason they're only there twice a year is they don't know Jesus, most likely. Remember, mm-hmm. cultural Christianity is not a discipleship issue. It's an evangelism yeah. issue. So you've been praying all year long, all the time, for God to bring unbelievers into your door. Mm-hmm. And then it happens. <laughs> he answers right. your prayer, and then you're, like, mad at them. <laughs> right? yes. Because they're there. You know, it's like, come on, people. But that's why that's why the Christian, that's why cultural Christianity has to be understood as, a, as an evangelism issue. So mm-hmm. I think that's the first step, is you got to be just excited and praising God for the opportunity. You know, that this many, you know, another holiday I'm starting to see that happen, too, is Mother's Day. Mm. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Father's Day doesn't get quite the love. So I at least right. worked in a football analogy earlier, but so I, I had to at least get that in. Uh, but, but Father's Day does not get the love. Mother's Day. It's so funny. Mother's Day is like, we worship you, mom. And then, you know, Father's Day is like, you guys are terrible and you need to step right. up. <laughs> so, uh, so, on, so on Easter, uh, I just see it as this amazing evangelistic opportunity and we pump it up to our church as that way. So our church is walking in one to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? But on that day, they're not asked. They're not like asking for us to like go into the depths of this like exegetical phrase from the the deepest, darkest, you know, wherever. You know, they they're like, right. hey, I brought my friend and give him Jesus. You know, so, so, so I, I think that we just we really see it that way. Like we treat them as guests and we're excited they're there, and we don't make a big deal about them. Uh, we we make a big right. deal behind the scenes. We're like, oh my gosh, they're no, like, but, hey, stand up if this is your first yeah. day here. Yeah. <laughs> And then hope, introduce yourself to exactly, everyone. and then yeah, Steve, stand up. Here's some bread, you know. But the, but so for for but then when they're there, we're gonna tell, we're gonna preach the gospel, you know, and we're gonna hopefully ha- have them see that Sunday. We have many people who have come to this church for the first ever time on Christmas Eve or on Easter. They're members of our. They've come to Christ. Members of our church this day. Like some of our baptism stories are. I came to Easter at the Civic Center. We have our uh, Easter service at Florida State's basketball arena, which people call the Civic Center. Wow. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's right, right next to campus, and it's used for other citywide things too, like concerts and all that's why it's called the Civic Center. But what an opportunity. So our folks want to see as many people there as possible unapologetically because they see it as like our version of like a Billy Graham crusade in our right. hometown. That's how we, how we approach it, you yeah. know? So, yeah. So, and then, you know, so we, I, I don't, and then I, I preach it like I often lean preach like an explicit Easter message. I mean, it's all an mm-hmm. Easter message, right? It's all about new life in Christ, the whole Bible. Right. But um, but I just preach on a text that I just been praying about. And we talk about as a team that I just think will hopefully help people get it and click and understand what the gospel is. You know, God's love for them in Christ and their need to you know repent and by faith believe in Christ. I can't. I'm, I'm excited to think about it already. You know, I yes. I, I love that opportunity. Uh, so so we we go out for Good Friday too. We do both our Good Friday and our Easter service off site. Mm. We do Good Friday. It's more of like a kind of a stoic service. We do it at Florida right. State's theater. Just okay. think of like an old restored like like arts yeah. theater. It's really neat. And then, then we do then we so we say we we reflect tonight and then on Sunday we party. You know, and our Easter it. service is that. And then we're also really clear about who Jesus is and their need for Christ. So I would say just to get people excited about the evangelistic opportunity that that it still is in many cultures in America. Uh, you know, the different subcultures throughout the country. It's, it still is. Um, and then from there, when people come, just make sure they're clear on the gospel, having an awesome, you know, they're loved and welcomed and spoken to, and, and then have clear opportunities for next steps. They know your church meets again. They're probably not going to come the next week, but they had, but they might think about, hey, you know what? We this we can do this. This was a, this was good for us because they're minding. They're not saying they're thinking good or bad, helpful, right. you know, those kind of things, and not responsibility or privilege to be a part of this or you know, wasn't mean. They're thinking that was helpful. That was good for my kids. You know, my teenagers mm-hmm. liked it. Great, whatever it takes. You know, and, and then but yeah. notice they're going to come back in the door. But if you're expecting everyone to show up the next Sunday mm-hmm. from after Easter, you're going to be so let down. Every church on earth. Okay. But if you say, wow, that was a huge seed we planted, you know, th- th- that's, that's the way to look at it. Are there any specific tips you have for following up with people after a big service like that? Yeah. Um, so from a family perspective, you have, it's easy to get information because you have the children's right. sign-ins. But there's obviously a lot more than just uh, the children's sign-ins. There's obviously a lot more than just families there. Uh, there's all kinds of walks of life. Everything everything under the board from, from you just need like college students, young adults, everybody you can think of. Uh, so I would just try to find a way to capture their information. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you can, and a big if it's a bigger thing, or it might be take too much time to, to have 
you know, some big pitch or to pass something or to ask somebody to go to a desk, maybe put a opportunity to text in, you know, or, or, to, oh, yeah. or, or throw something on the screen that people can see and look at. And, and, can, and regardless of what kind of church you have, that they can do something like it might not be a text might be, you know, email this, just find a way to get them to see a clear next step. And, and then to have people on the prowl for that, you know, like we, like that's, it's actually mentioned and talked about regularly. And, but here's the best way, the best way <laughs> every single time, Put the responsibility. The church needs to do its part from an organizational standpoint. Right. But put the baton back in the hands of the people who invited them. Mm. And encourage yeah. encourage the people who are members of your church that brought a friend, hey, y'all need to go to lunch next week. Mm. You know, you need to follow up and go to coffee and talk about this. They, they, they came with you. That's huge. Like, to say, yeah. yes, I'll go with you to church is a big deal. You know, right. so, so they went with you. So now, like, hey, and, and, and how, how can we come alongside of you? You know, and help you with that. So, so that, that's the big hope. Hey, if I, they might not be ready to come back on Sunday, but if I am to your group. You yeah. know, your, your women's Bible study that meets meets at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays at, you know, Einstein's Bagels or whatever, like, like invite them to that. See what they say. Yeah. You know, like, like Those are usually a, lower risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but but that, I think that's so important for churches, just to create a culture of evangelism and just urgency and discipleship and, and, and just kind of name another buzzword, missional living. You know, just all those, <laughs> all those kind of things is put the responsibility back. Like, we're not priests. Right. I mean, like, yeah. like, like you, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're fully equipped to walk with someone to, you know, to, to at least have coffee afterwards. Just follow up. Yeah, that's how I would do it. But that there's, I'm not, I'm not, doesn't sound very profound, but put the, the hand, the responsibility goes back in the person who made the invitation. The likelihood of seeing that person again is much higher. This, I don't have data for this. This is my, this is my opinion. Yeah, you know, Adrian yeah. Rogers. Adrian Rogers used to say, in my humble but accurate opinion. So, 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 so <laughs> there it is. Uh, that that's yeah. that's the key. You know, think about your own life. You know, maybe the person invited right. you to something. You know, is, is the fact that afterwards you kept talking about. It. You know, whatever it might have been. Yeah. So that, that's my yeah. that's my two cents there on that. I like it, and I think that's something that you can prep your church members before. Definitely. Like, hey, this isn't. This isn't you're going to invite somebody and then be done with it. Like you're in this, but that's the good work of being a Christian. And so. then it becomes part of your culture the rest of the year. Yes. If they get it. So in yeah. the middle of May, they invited a friend from work who finally agreed to come or and then and then when they get here, it's like, oh, guess what? I love it. We don't even know about it right away. As in when I say we, I mean, like the church staff, the pastors, that kind of thing. But because the, they they bring in their friend for three weeks and they're going to lunch mm-hmm. afterwards, and then we'll find out, hey, my friend, I've been, we've been talking for three or four weeks. I want you to meet them. They're, they're thinking about you know trusting the Lord, getting baptized. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Those yeah. are the vision wins you need to be about and celebrate. I love it. And I think, too, for especially in the cultural Christian arena, <laughs> like where there may be more cultural Christians than cultural non-Christians, um, that church is also another easy way to do that because people who claim to be Christians, whether or not they are one or not, may or may not have a church home. And I think like it's a little bit different than approaching someone who believe, who thinks they're a Christian just because they live in the United States or they live in the UK or wherever to be like, if you were to die tonight, where are you going to go? It's a little bit uh, less challenging to be like, come to my church. You don't, do you go to it? Do you have a church home? Like, no, then come to mine. Like, and um, it's a little bit less uh, you calling them out for not being a Christian, I guess. And and then Um, inconvenience yourself to make it happen. Like, drive them. You know, if you, yeah. if you usually have or meet beforehand for coffee and ride together yes. or, you know, or if there's, if, well, we always go out to lunch with this. Well, either bring your friend with it, w- with the group or that week. Just don't <laughs> just go one yeah. on with your friend, you know, incorporate your friend as much as your life that day as you're already doing the rest of the week. You know, And a huge thing is 
especially for someone that doesn't have a family to come with, is having someone to sit with. Absolutely. So just offering that alone would break down a huge barrier for a lot of like single people or people that are going to, for whatever reason, may be attending church alone because um, their spouse won't go or something like that. Just yeah. be like, I'll sit with you. I'll meet you here in this spot and we can walk in together so that it's not a weird thing with all the greeters and, you know, yeah, huge the deal. coffee the coffee area and all <laughs> the things. So, <laughs> all right. So we've now come to the end of the podcast. So the question that we always ask is what is one thing that has marked you in your walk with Christ? How would you answer that question? Yeah, I would think, I think it's one thing that's marked me during this conversation has been, you've never been to Tallahassee before, so I'm a little upset about <laughs> that. But uh, I, I think one thing that's marked me in, in my walk with Christ, I, I think is is the regular reminder of the only difference between me and an unbeliever that I want to be self-righteous towards or judge, whatever it might be, the only difference is Jesus. Mm. It's not that I'm more moral or that I'm better or that I have life more figured out. It's Christ, you know. And so when I remember that over and over again, I have to remind myself that all the time. And I tell our church that all the time. It's going to create more compassion towards the loss for me. It's going to have me get over myself and I take myself as seriously. I, I tell our, our church often, let's take God really seriously and not ourselves, mm. right? And, and then, and then, the, and then the other thing that it's going to do is it's going to really get, I think, give me an urgency to want people to be able to experience the same life that I've experienced through Christ. So I've, I've been thinking about, it's just so many kind of just, I don't know, angry people online often today that, that claim the name of Christ and not just that, they're pastors, you know, it's like in their bio, yeah. they're pastors, just kind of mad, you know, and, and, and sometimes I, I've been thinking lately about the you know, restore unto me that the joy of, of thy salvation, you know, the joy of your salvation. And, and I think that's like the remedy for a lot of this. People like remembering, like remembering, like return back to when you were joyful about Christ. And but I think that remembering that the only difference between us and, and the lost world is that we have Jesus, that we know Christ, yeah. you know? And so God, it's, it's God's grace, right? Understood in the gospel story of, of Christ dying for our sins and rising again. So that's, so that's been huge for me. And I have to, that, that's a regular rhythm reminder of my life that I have to do. And that I try to communicate to others as well, because I don't think we're going to have the compassion of Christ, missional urgency, the right self-awareness about ourselves, you know, unless we're, unless we get that, you can word it differently, but like, that's the big idea in terms yeah. of what I think it's been a big marker for me. I love that. And I think that's something that as I've read through scripture in the past few years, I've just been noting how often, um, it says to remember things and how often God asked them to set up a reminder yeah. somewhere of things to tell their kids and their grandkids and their grandkids, great grandkids. Um, and so I think, that is a spiritual discipline that we often forget is just remembering the gospel, remembering that we have Jesus and that he died for our sins and rose again three days later. And what a miracle that is, um, especially like you said, for those of us who maybe grew up around the Bible, but um, that gospel was not made super clear. And so we didn't have that life to or death to life in our minds like that is the miracle yeah. of the gospel. That. Um, yes, that. And that reminder, that constant <laughs> Well said, reminder. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the end of our episode. Thank you so much, Dean, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, we will put links in the show notes to all of Dean's books and his Bible study and some other possible resources that you can check out that he referenced. And we'll have all that, like I said, in the show notes. And you can check out his Bible study called Marks of a Disciple on Lifeway.com. And thank you for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for teen girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.